Hello and welcome. It's our bonus Q&A episode of Books of the Year with the fabulous uh, John Boyne, the international best-selling author. Correct? Uh, well, it is correct. Yes. I mean, you can you know, roll your eyes all you like, John, but it's true. Yes. Best-selling, yes. Well, international, yes. yes. Author, yes. Yes, so I'll, take, I'll take all of that. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So um, in our previous podcast, hopefully you heard John talking about his new book, Water, the start of a... In, in Movieland, they do talk about quadrilogies, but I kind of think this is an, a clumsy word. Yeah, I, I, I think a quartet. A quartet. Yeah, that's a nice, quartet word. It does feel nice better. Okay, Q&A then. You've answered these questions before, but each time we get a different answer, yeah. uh, particularly when the opening question is, what is the last book that you really, really enjoyed reading? Okay, well, I gave this one a lot of thought. And um, I look, because I keep a list of all the books that I read. And the book, I suppose, enjoyed will be the, it'd be a strange word to use about this. The book that had the biggest impression on me, I think, um, quite in quite some years, it was a book published this year. It's called 17 by a guy called Joe Gibson. And it's a nonfiction book, which is unusual for me because I, I don't read very much nonfiction. One of my New Year's resolutions every year is to read more and I always fail. But it came out this year and it's um, about a guy. He He's telling his story now from, I think he's in his 40s, but he's looking back to when he was 17 and in school and he was groomed by his female teacher. And they had a, well, it would be wrong to say they had a relationship. He was abused by her um, for many years and it had a very, very powerful and um, unhappy effect on his life. And it's one of those stories that I think men and boys would often look at and go stupidly would say oh you know if the teacher missed whatever in school I was you know lusting after I would have been thrilled but it's 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 not that simple it's exactly the same as a male teacher abusing a female child it's um it can have a really really traumatic effect and that book has really really stayed with me um since I read it about eight nine months ago as I say enjoyed would be the wrong word but in terms of an emotional reaction to a book, which is what I always want. I want to be moved by it. Uh, that's the one that got me the most in most in. The and did it feed in? Was there some way in which that fed your anger or your fury or your creativity to write the quad? No, I, I had already. Um, I was already, I think, on book three. <clears throat> excuse me. By the time I read that, but one of the, I, I suppose it brought me back to a lot of my books in the way that in Joe Gibson's book, he talks about the fact that so many teachers in the school knew this was going on, knew about this, that she was, you know, abusing this boy. And because he was one of the boys that they expected to go to Oxford or Cambridge, and that was going to be a big deal for the school, they just turned the other way. And, you know, it's just one of those things that just baffles you. It's interesting because you you say you were in the middle of the th of writing that third book, which, as you've said, that third book is from the point of view of the abuser. Yeah. And your decision to pick up this book, because there, there will be some writers who go, actually, I don't want to be anywhere near reading someone else's take on this because I want it in, to be entirely mine. So it's interesting that you decided, no, 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 I do, I do want to read this now. Yeah, I, I'm actually pretty good at separating what I'm reading from what I'm writing. And I do know writers, for example, who, if they're writing a first-person novel, can't write, can't read a first-person novel, and same with the third and so on. Um, but I, I don't seem to have that problem in, in any way. I, I'm able to just sort of put the two aside. Um, how many books do you tend to read a month? And I'd be more interested in ones that you're reading for you as opposed to ones that you're reading for, for research. I always 
aim to read about 100 books a year. So if it's 100 books a year, that's about, <laughs> well, you know, okay. eight wow. um, a month. Um, I, I'm lucky because I, other than writing, I don't have another job. So I'm at home. <laughs> When I'm not like away on book tours, or whatever, I'm I'm at home. I'm writing during the day, but I'm I see reading as part of my my day and my job. So I, I get through about two books a week on average. I would say, depending on the I guess the length of the book, but I generally try to get to about a hundred. And I know I'm at this is you know early November, and I know I'm at something like eighty four. So you're keeping so care. I'm, yeah. You're, oh, I keep a list. I keep right. a list for years. Okay. I'm a very um, OCD kind of person. Um, I have that in common with David Beckham, apparently. You know, I have everything, you know. <laughs> you and David, yeah. Yeah, we're, yeah. We, we, get, we get mixed up for each other quite a lot, actually. Do you, do um, you ever, do you, just, on, just on that, and we're off, off on a tangent here, but I, I heard the uh, historian Simon Seabag Montefiore uh, on a podcast last week, uh, and in the course of the conversation, he talked about his book, which is called Jerusalem, which is like a biography of the city of Jerusalem. And he talked about it in such an interesting way. I instantly, I got home and I, I bought the book and it's arrived and it's massive. You know, it's bigger than a Terry Hayes book. But I have started and I'm sort of being blown off course my reading plan by the world events. You know, do you do you ever do do you ever does the world ever get to a particular point and you think, actually, I know nothing about that. I need to write about I need to read about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of things that, um, for example, I, I really am very, very badly informed on the whole Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And I'm trying to inform myself at the moment by you know, reading different newspapers, different takes on it, uh, because I, I just, I don't know that much. And strangely, I remember when, years ago, when we were doing the movie tour of Striped Pajamas in the States, and this was the only place this happened, every American journalist who spoke to me asked me about that subject. And I always said, you know, look, I'm sorry, it's just, I don't know anything about this, and anything I say will be very unhelpful, um, which I think was the wise thing yes. to do. But but right now, that's the subject that I'm, I'm trying to educate myself a bit on. Yeah. Guess what? It's okay not to share your views about everything yeah, yeah, on, yeah, online. Yeah. Um, short chapters versus long chapters. Discuss. Short. Uh, I learned a big lesson when I was writing Hearts Invisible Furies, which is the long book, as I say, longer than Moby Dick. And that book has 10 chapters that are, you know, every seven years. But I decided each chapter, because they would be quite long, they'd be about 20,000 words, divide them into just these little mini sections. So there's like three or four pages a piece. And I like that as a reader and a writer, because if when you're reading it, if you're enjoying it, you might say, oh, I haven't the energy to read sort of you know, 50 more pages to get to the end of the chapter. But I'll read another little three pages of the mini chapter. Yes. And before you know it, you might read all of them and keep keep going. And as a writer, I find when I'm editing, when I'm in the second, third, fourth, fifth drafts of a book, short chapters are, for me, easier to work on there. You know, you can isolate them and try to make them as perfect as possible. I'm a big fan of short. There's a um, a horse racing book that I read, and I'm not into horse racing at all, but I read um, this summer, as written by uh, an American writer, Catherine Scanlon, and some of the chapters are literally one sentence, mm. and and none of them are more than four or five pages, and you, as a, as a consequence, you find yourself ripping through the book yeah. because it's just it's it's so it's so straightforward. I, I also have this dread of you know when you turn a page in a book and all you see is two big blocks yes. of text, mm. you yes. know, and and no matter how good the book is, my heart's of sinks you know it's like it's like the writer being just deliberately awkward yeah, yeah. You, know? you need to also you need to be able to look at a page and go that's my out point i can you know i'm, I'm still engaged and i can stay but that's the outdoor if i need if i need to leave at that yeah. point i'll get to a page and a half and then i'm off yeah, yeah. 
Uh, do you work best to deadlines? Do they sort of uh, they help you write? I don't really worry about deadlines at all because I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty prolific, clearly, as a writer. You know, I write a lot. I really enjoy it. I have deadlines in my book contracts, but I never really think about them. You know, when I give, when I say to my editor, I, I'll probably be able to deliver, deliver this book by such and such a date. I say that realistically and I know that, that I will. Um, but I, I, I never really get to a place where I'm thinking, oh, gosh, you know, it's three weeks away and I haven't, you know, haven't got there yet. So I'm, I've 30,000 words yet to write. I haven't got to that. <laughs> um, so I, I'm, I'm okay with that, actually. I, so it feels like deadlines don't figure for you at all. Though, I don't really, really think about them. Yeah. No. So. Very jealous of John. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, we always like to uh, surprise our guests with uh, a voice note. Uh, and a question from in fact you've been you've been one of these I questions have, yeah. so uh, we have a question from a fellow Irish writer for you Hi John this is Donald Ryan as you know I'm a huge fan of yours you're a constant inspiration as a writer and as a human being and my question to you is around stamina how do you maintain your energy and inspiration year after year turning out work of such high quality Oh, that's lovely. I love I love Donald. He's great. Um, who also writes short books. Very good. Yeah, God bless you. short books. So stamina, um, I think a lot of it comes from the fact that I um, that I genuinely love what I do. You know, I'm not one of those writers who says, I hate writing. I wish I didn't have to write. When I read those interviews, you know, I just think, oh, then don't. You know, the, the world isn't going to fall apart if you don't write another book. Um, I, I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm 23 years publishing novels and... I get as much excitement from it as I ever did. And it, it feeds me in some way. So I think that's where the stamina comes from, from just actually loving the craft of it and knowing that I'm very fortunate to to have the opportunity to publish books. So given given that you love it, do you have to stop yourself writing then? Because there are some people who will go, I'm going to give myself four hours in the morning, write, 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 but then I've done my four hours. It sounds with you like you would actually have to stop yourself writing because you're enjoying it so much. Uh, well, no, I mean, like, there's certainly days where, you know, it's harder than other days. But the way I work is I don't really say to myself in the morning, right, I've got to write for four hours. I, I look at it by the end of the day that I want to have achieved something with the day. So I'm usually at my desk by about 8, 8.30, I'll do a little bit, then I'll, you know, read something, then I'll, you know, do the laundry, whatever, you know, just normal things. And then I'll go back in, I'll do another hour maybe, go out and do other things. And just really, over the course of the day, it's not sort of a word count or how many hours. It's just to feel at the end of the day, I didn't waste time. That, for the most part, I've, I've achieved something with my day. So if you hadn't become a writer, John, what, what profession would we find you in now if it weren't writing? I think I would have liked to have been an actor. And when I was in school, I was very shy, very introverted, and I didn't have the courage really to take part in plays and so on. But um, I love now being on stages. I think there is a showman somewhere inside me. And when I'm at literary festivals, uh, and I guess, you know, you, you hone it over the years, you hone your sort of shtick on stage with, mm -hmm. as a writer, the, the, the stories you tell, the, the jokes you tell. And, um, and I really, I, I know when it's working, when, when, when I'm, when the audience are enjoying what I'm saying and, and I'm sort of feeding off them. And there is this part of me still thinks, you know, maybe I'm not too old. Maybe like if an opportunity in my life came up to being a play, I would I would seize it with both hands. Really? Yeah, right. I absolutely would. I might be absolutely hopeless at it, um, but I'd give it a shot for sure. <laughs> Do you remember 
the first book that you bought with your own money? I do. I do. The, uh, it was a series of books, and it was The Secret Seven. I wasn't into The Famous Five. Okay. The Famous Five, I found those books, weirdly, I found them too long. The Secret Seven books were shorter, and um, and I was obsessed with The Secret Seven. And uh, when I was about, I don't know, seven or eight, and started saving some of my pocket money to buy books, that's, I wanted to have the full set of The Secret Seven. And eventually did uh, by the time I grew out of them. And I think they're still, I think my mum still has them in, in a wardrobe at home somewhere, these, these old books. Um, I didn't buy that many books as a kid. You know, we used the library pretty much all the time. And most of the only times I really bought books is when we were going on a summer holidays. And then my parents would let us go to the bookshop and buy three books and you had to choose those carefully. But Secret Seven was the, the ones I, I Has it remained, it remained important or is it just one of those kind of childish things that you can put away? The, the Secret Seven? Mm -hmm. um, no, it probably hasn't remained important to me now. Uh, I haven't gone back and, and read them or anything, but, um, you know, Ina Blyton was a, was a terrific writer and so so many of us probably, you know, read her books as a, as a kid. You know, the first thing the first thing I really remember about books is um, Noddy and I had a little Noddy outfit <laughs> when I was four. <laughs> I, um, I, 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 I just loved it. That, I loved that outfit. I used to wear it constantly. I mean, my mom used to like to, for her to wash it, it would, she'd have to literally sedate me or something. To get this. <laughs> and I had a little hat with the bell. Yeah. No. Yeah. Really? I remember reading the, uh, some of the Uni Blyton Famous Five to my, to my kids first, probably first one. Uh, and you know you collect the set and all that kind of stuff. And there's that there's that moment where you realise that you are going to have to do a little bit of editing yourself mm. as you're reading them out because otherwise, you know the you know the gypsy boy that comes into town with the circus, it's always him. Yeah. You know if there's something <laughs> yeah. bad that's happened, yeah. he's the guy. Yeah. It's like it's you know yeah. fingers pointing. This is the guy. That <laughs> yeah, you can't yeah, trust. yeah. So you just have to change things around. Do you know, I recently read a um, a biography of Agatha Christie, and uh, I love Agatha Christie books, but similarly. Um, if there's a foreigner in the book, <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can pretty much rely on the foreigner to have done it. <laughs> can, I, can I ask you, the, and I'm seriously not trying to get you into any kind of trouble, uh, where, what do you think about books that are being, because this has very much been a topic this year and, and, hmm. uh, and last year, about books where there are, um, for historical reasons, there are problems with the text that you're looking at. So you're looking at it with, with eyes from the 21st century and you're looking at it thinking, okay, this feels a little bit clumsy, whatever, or, or inappropriate, and they are rewritten. Do you think that's a good idea for publishers to be getting their hands in that or, or do you instinctively think that's a mistake? I, I think it is sacrilege um, to do that. I think books represent their time and their place. Sure, there will be words in, in certain books that we would not use today and that we might not... Um, want to say aloud if we're reading it, reading it to a, a young person. But that's what was written at the time. And we learned from that. And w what happens if we just keep rewriting it? Eventually, you know, the next generation rewrite it again and the next again. Before you know it, it's um, how much of it was the original book at all. There's so many books in the world. If you don't want to read one that you think is going to be offensive to your, to your, your sensibilities, read something else. 
We're always intrigued, John, by uh, people's bookshelves at home and how they order them or don't. And we've had people say they order them. I order mine by fiction, non-fiction. So basically, on a shelf with non-fiction, it's only going to be non-fiction. And we've had people saying alphabetical. We've had people saying colour, which feels like a lot of work uh, whenever you buy a new book. Uh, do you have a system? Do you not have a system? I do have a system. Oh, right. And I wonder, is this a system that you've ever had a guest have before? Because I think it's kind of unique. I mentioned that I have sort of... I'm a little bit OCD on these things. So I know in my book, I have about 3,000, in my house, I have about 3,000 books. And the trick is to be able to find the book that you want uh -huh. without any difficulty. But also, my worry always about if I went just A to Z around the house is that, you know, if you buy a new book by John Banville, you know, so that's a B, you have to put that in and then move everything around. So I came up with a system. My system is geography. <laughs> okay? Okay. So... Um, for example, in my living room, there's all the Irish literature, alphabetical by author and then chronological by book within author. Um, in the in my uh, front office in the house, um, it's all my British literature. Uh, in the uh, there's a room upstairs which has Australia and New Zealand. Um, there's a above a staircase is all the Americans. There's a Canadian section. There's a translated literature section. There's international literature written in English that does not fulfill any of the previous <laughs> characteristics. I, 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 I kid you not. Um, and I can find what I want that way. There's a non-fiction section and even that is then broken up into, you know, certain... It's like going into Daunt's, the bookshop. It's you know, where you, I love it. Yeah. Where you, you can clearly see which sections. Yeah. That's, I want to come it, round it to your house. Sense. I want to be shown yeah, round. You'd be very welcome. It makes sense. And a few years ago, actually, I did a, a piece for the Irish Times where I went to five Irish writers' houses to see how they did their shelves. And... Um, and they all had different ways of doing it, but I set them each a task. I would find a book in the house and then time them to see how long it took them to find it. Because if it took, if they can't find it, well, then your shelves aren't working. And if you can find it quickly, um, you can. So uh, that's how I do it. Geography, has anybody ever done that before? No, no, no. no you are the first. Wow, that's yeah, superb. Absolutely. Geography. Co yeah. Colour is crazy. I mean, that's, I mean, just, that's yeah. just nuts. I don't know. I've, and I've seen th things in, in newspapers and magazines say where some... I'm pretty sure Tom Rob Smith... I'm pretty sure I saw an interview with him where he has his his books color coded. And, and I, I wouldn't thought, be able to remember what what color yeah. a a book was. No, no, like Anthony exactly. Horowitz, what color is that? I don't know. I've got no yeah. idea. Yeah. You know. Anyway, Bizarre. you could never find that book. Anyway, so here we go then. Uh, you're throwing a fantasy dinner party, John. Yeah. You can invite three authors, living or dead, who's coming. Okay, my first invitation would be to uh, JK Rowling. I've never met JK Rowling. I'm a huge admirer of JK Rowling both uh, um, as a writer um, as what, and as what, she's, what she has achieved in terms of getting so many children writing, uh, reading over the years. Uh, I think none of us know who is going to stand the test of time, but I'm pretty sure 100, 200, 300 years from now, she'll still be there. And I really respect her voice in the world and how she uses it. And I would just love to be in a room with her. So okay. JK Rowling. All right. And I imagine she'd bring a good bottle with her as well. <laughs> I so, she would. You know. So first, what, J.K. Rowling. What, what kind of bottle would, just in case she's downloaded the podcast? Oh, something champagne. Um, like, so which, a nice bottle of Dom. <laughs> Dom Perignon. Bottle yeah. Dom. Okay. You know, I think she could afford it. Vintage, <laughs> vintage, vintage Dom Perignon. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, she can shell out. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> she's got a few can. quid. Of all, the authors, the off, of all the authors who could be listening to this, <laughs> she is the one who could afford some yeah, vintage yes. Dom Perignon. Yes. If you are listening, Joe, <laughs> um, please... Come to my house for dinner with a bottle of vintage Dom. Okay, she's the first one. 
Okay. Second one would be Malcolm Bradbury. Malcolm Bradbury died in 2000, but he was my teacher in UEA when I was a student there in 94, 95, uh, when I was st uh, studying on the creative writing course. And I published my first novel only two months before he died. And he died very young. He died at 68. And he was a lovely man. He was a terrific writer. I loved his novels. Um, I had read his novels way before I met him. He was very helpful on the course. He was um, really wise and cared about his students. And I would have liked to have the opportunity for him to see that I had gone on to, you know, make a career out of this. Every year on that course, you know, there would be so many students, but there was always this knowledge that it's only a certain percentage would would make it effectively. And I would have liked to have the opportunity to tell him that I was one of them. So, Malcolm. Okay. So Malcolm Bradbury, J.K. Rowling. Okay. And my third choice um, would be E.M. Forster. Um, I loved, E.M. E. Forster was probably my favorite sort of classical, you know, classic writer of that period. But I've always been fascinated as a gay man about the fact that, you know, he had Morris hid under the, the bed for, you know, metaphorically speaking, um, for 60 years, you know, and wasn't published until 1971 after he died. And of course, he had, you know, he had a, a somewhat tortured life, I suppose, as a, a gay man in the times when it was illegal to, well, not to be gay, but to do anything gay, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I've always been interested in him. I loved the six novels that he published. Um, I've gone back to them many, many times, and I'm not a big rereader. But I've read Howard's End two or three times, Room with a View two or three times, um, Where Angels Fear to Tread, and Morris, you know, I've read maybe four times. So I would I would like to sit down with him and tell him how, how times have changed, how life has changed, how how it's, you know, we can write books about gay characters and and be gay. You know, in Ireland, we have a gay prime minister, gay Taoiseach. So uh, tell him that times are better, but also maybe to hear about his story. He'd be somewhat surprised by the way Ireland is in 2023, wouldn't he? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I think a lot of Irish people are surprised. Um, you know, in, it was 1992 before homosexuality was decriminalised. Uh, I was in university at the time. And yet we still became the first country in the world to actually vote for equal rights marriage. All in the space of, what was it, 23 years. It's a blink of an eye in history. Boomtown Rats did Banana Republic, or Banana Republic is the way Bob Geldof used to sing it. And that was a hit record. And, that, and now when... Give us your money. That's right. Yeah. But now if you play Banana Republic and you said that's about the Republic of Ireland, people go, well, it doesn't sound like the way it is mm. now. Yeah. Because he wrote about Ireland as a, as a Banana Republic run by police and priests. Yeah, and it was. But it's changed enormously and it's changed for the better. It's a really good country to live in now. I, I, just very quickly, of those three writers you mentioned, and I'm sure you'll get this straight away, one of them does... Um, or used to order the books by colour on their bookcase. Do you, you know that? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, let me guess. Um, I think it's probably going to be Ian e. Forster. J.K. Rowling. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. How do you know that? Because I go around her house. No, because she's <laughs> talked about it before. She's talked no. about it. Yes, yeah. Well, she well, she well. does a bookcase by colour. But now she's going to listen to this podcast. Yeah. And she's going to rearrange and design <laughs> yes. by geography. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Water is the new book from John Boyne. It's published by Doubleday. It's out now. Remember, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email anytime books of the year at yahoo.com or via socials. We'll be back next week. John, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Matt, thanks. It's been a pleasure. Thanks to you as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah all right. <laughs>